Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of the State of Love and Trust Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, hello. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful on this fine evening, Jason. How about you, my good man? You know, I'm doing okay. Uh, we we have we are both fathers. Indeed, proud proud papas. That is true. Uh, we both have dos niños. Mm-hmm. And uh, your littlest one just turned two years old. Yes, he did. My littlest one just became a thing. <laughs> a living, <laughs> breathing, organic thing. <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago. He's no longer a, a mass, no, a, a carbon-based <laughs> life form mass. It, it, it is upon the earth and it has a social security number. Um, <laughs> he he has a social security number. I can call him. He, you know, he's a he. Um, uh, if you are a regular listener, you would know that we skipped a week for the first time ever. And that's because I was two days into this whole th- thing again. So apologies to you guys out there for missing a week. But anyways, uh, here we are again, episode 55. Uh, I would kindly urge you to get on your platform of choice and give us a rating and a review. And if you haven't subscribed already, you should probably do that. And I'm told that the Apple algorithms have recently changed or something where if you submit a review, it's like a big deal to them and they like bump you up the whole thing. And here's what we're going to do. You leave a review. We're going to read it next time. Next episode. We're going to read that review on the air. I decided right now. Because you deserve to be heard and you probably sound better and more articulate than we do anyway. We should literally, that'll be the whole episode. Just reading reviews. It will be our most popular episode. It'll have the, the, the highest. It'll be, it's 45 Jason. minutes people complaining about us. <laughs> <laughs> These jabronis, blah, 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 keyboard, keyboard, keyboard. Uh, well, we hope you write lovely reviews, but if you don't, we understand. Um, I'm sure we deserved it either way. That, yeah, that's true. So this episode, you know, we wanted to, we like bookends. We like, we like symmetry. At least I do. And we did an episode a few weeks ago about songs that we prefer in the studio to the live version. I think I may have messed up with the title of the episode because many people in the comments on Facebook and Instagram thought it was the reverse. And so like, oh, I much prefer blah, 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 live. And I go, not the episode. Yeah. So I had to do a little correction. So I apologize for my lack of clarity on that. But I think we got it sorted. And many people chimed in. There were some really interesting answers. There's a really good thread on Facebook. I forget which group it was in. Maybe it might have been the official 10 club members. I don't remember. My point is, we're doing the opposite of that today. We are doing five songs, and vibe was hard. Five songs that we prefer live to the studio version. And Paul, as a band that that is self-proclaimed, that self-admits that they write music to play live. How hard was this for you? It was very challenging, um, but it, it became less so as I really reflected on my own concert going experiences uh-huh. because, and that, that was the key. So if, if, if you don't have, 
I don't want to say a storied history of seeing the band play live because it doesn't necessarily have to be that. But when you see the band play live, you really do discover this organic process that makes the band what they are. It's, it's built into the fabric of what I think has kept them going as long as they continue to play. And certain songs, when you, for many listening, there are songs that they may have heard tracks for the first time live before they ever showed up mm. on a studio album, uh, especially if, if you've been listening to them since the early to mid nineties. Then there are other tracks that perhaps when you heard it on the album, it didn't resonate with you or you heard it in a different way. I mean, maybe, I, mean, I don't know how you discover Pearl Jam, you know, maybe you're on iTunes and you're carrier you're, pigeon. Yeah. A carrier pigeon. Dropping exactly. off a USB stick. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just a, a CD in the car, you know, on your way to work. Uh, maybe you're the type that buys it on vinyl. Uh, maybe you're the headphone type and you just, you want to just go Zen and just be in the moment. Everybody experiences a new Pearl Jam record in a different way. I personally feel that when you listen to these songs, many of them, they carry a different vibrato life. And so I, I found, and one of these songs is a no brainer because I've mentioned it a couple of times in prior episodes. Evacuation. No, <laughs> you can evacuate me out of this podcast. If we're going on that song, <laughs> well, I'm going to choose. I am not drinking any from low. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, anyway, so I feel that there are certain songs that when you hear them live, you say, whoa, it, it does not sound like that on the album. That was killer. And that, that's, that's my segue into my first track. Oh, we're just going to go into it, are we? Yeah, let, let's do it, brother. Wait, well, hold on. Before we, go, before we go in there, I know you want to do a segue, and this is great. Uh, do you want to do our honorable mentions afterwards, then? Um, we can. That's yeah, absolutely fine. Yeah, let's, let, let, let's shift it up for a bit. Let's do honorable mentions. Okay, so we're just going to dive into number five right off the bat. Let's dive in. I love five. it. Let's go. You, uh, so you're, going, you're talking about this, and then get, get, give me number five. So number five for me is Infallible off of lightning bolt i knew it yeah it's no surprise this is not the first time i've actually talked about this on uh on an episode with you I, that the song just didn't I, it, I didn't connect with it when i first heard it i don't know if it's that weird little part at the beginning you know with the intro it just it, there's no crunch to it it just feels flat and when i heard it live we were up close i mean we were on the floor for that mm-hmm. show you and i and the speak i mean i felt it vibrating in my chest mike's guitar when, when they they burst into that song and i thought to myself man why doesn't it sound like that on the out this is fantastic you know i want the guitars that we get in a song like ghost for this i want just heavy crunching just ripping guitar and i feel like it was really just toned down in the beginning of the song and what they dialed up I get it, you know, that there's some high production value on the track, but the essence of it to me gets lost. I feel like that song really thrives as, as more of a raw, stripped down track. And live, I, I, I God, I, it's the only way I want to hear the song, to be honest with you. I mean, it's not that I skip it when it comes on with the studio version if I'm doing a listen through of Lightning Bolt, but I definitely vastly prefer the live version. I love that choice. A, it's a phenomenal choice, and um, I'm going to leave my comments right there, hey. just, in, just in case I happen to mention it later. We'll see. Numero cinco for you, my good. Um, and I, I, I don't know if you chose this way, but I, I could not 
I could not think of like an actual order. So these are just the no, top five. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start with something that I want to think that is pretty common among Pearl Jam fans. I'm going to start with a banger. Well, to be fair, they're all bangers. Corduroy. Oh, that's not on my list, but that's fascinating. The intro drums change from like what's on the album to that just kick drum to the beat thing for me is so much better. Um, what Dave did on the album is like, okay, that's kind of cool. You're kind of building up that little beat thing. But when they decided to change, I think it was under Matt, when they decided to change to the, just the, yeah, under Eddie, it, it, and then they, the whole band comes in, it's so much better. Um, there's just so much energy from the crowd that infuses the band. And this is gonna be a theme for me. It's 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 cyclical, right? And And there's a reason this is one of the best and most beloved live Pearl Jam songs. I, I would say to you, the the interlude, the bridge portion, everything has changed. Absolutely nothing's changed. It's a sing-along moment nearly unrivaled for me. I, I, there's just something about those lyrics that the crowd just really latches onto. And the breakdown and the buildup to the solo is for me one of the most cathartic experiences in rock and roll. You know what's coming. And unlike on the album, it, it's just an absolute release and Mike just rips it. Um, minute, 90 seconds, two minutes, who even knows anymore. It, and it's just brilliant. The only knock for me on the, on, the, uh, on the song live is in the last few years when they've added that extra little breakdown with the sing-along thing from Ed, yeah. I, I, I don't care for that. But, for the first, you know, 30 years that the song was out, or I guess 25 years, really, that the song was out there, um, there's an extra energy to this song that has never been less than what the album is. You're always getting more for me. Right. Uh, and so for that reason, you know, they, they often play this song pretty early in a set because it's like, okay, maybe they'll start, just start the show a little bit slower with like a release or a, or a infallible or, a, or an ocean or something like that. Um, you know, or even if they started with a go or animal, when they hit corduroy, now we started. That's how I always feel about when, when you hear corduroy. Okay, now we're now we're into the show. Now there's no. Now more we're cooking with gas. Exactly. <laughs> so for me, corduroy, uh, I love the song dearly, and it, but it's just that much better live. I hear that, man. Yeah, complain me on that one. That's pretty cool. What do you got at four? Uh, at four, I'm gonna go with comatose. No shit. Yeah, I. You, well, you know, we just talked about avocado. I didn't think I, we did, but I, I didn't. I wouldn't think that you would drop a comatose on me because I, I think you like the song. I don't, but it's mostly due to Eddie's vocal performance, and I feel like there. I don't know. There's something about when he sings it live. He just doesn't sound like he went through two packs of Marlboros and half a bottle of red. I, I mean, it's, so when, whenever they play it live, I actually welcome the song. I mean, I, I like the tempo. I, you know, it, it comes in with a, a nice punch to the face, and he just sounds less, uh, what's the word, guttural, I guess? Yes, you said guttural before. Yeah, I did, exactly. So it's, I just think his vocals sound a bit cleaner. Um, Look, it's not a sing-songy thing. It doesn't have that breakdown that you have in, in corduroy for a chorus. I know that, but I do feel that there's something in his delivery live that is absent on the studio track. And uh, because my biggest 
you know, the, what I take most umbrage with with the original track is the vocal performance. Um, I just feel that the live version, I don't want to say redeems the song for me, but it makes it far more palatable and it, it becomes a, a song that I actually get to appreciate more because I can get past what I guess, I don't want to say. God, some of these words are so terrible. I wanted to say agitate, but that's not what I mean. You know what I mean? It's just use the right words, Paul. Come on. Exactly. Gosh. Right. Find your thesaurus. <laughs> Do kids know what thesauruses are anymore? Uh, yeah, it's it's called a function on Google Docs. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not walking across the classroom to open up the old thesaurus, the synonym finder. <laughs> synonym. You know what's a funny yeah. word? Simile. Well, figurative language. No, but like people use that word anymore. Like, well, I mean, if you're talking about people say similes between two seemingly unlike things that uses like or as, yes, yes, you are using. Yes, that word. You pe- people say similes, but do people say the word simile? When's the last time you heard it in conversation? Uh, well, I teach literature. God so. damn it. Okay, stop it. <laughs> Get in my face, weirdo. Yesterday, <laughs> oh, look at me. I teach children who are smart. <laughs> okay, actually. New, new geek for me these days. I, I am over. I am That's overseeing and guiding that. those Yay, who do, do this. But uh, honorable profession, noble profession, loved it. Highly rewarding. Yes. Uh, but that's an aside, and we nobody listening wants to hear about Paul's personal. Yeah, but yeah, so, it's fun to talk yeah, about similes. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, we are going. Well, the here's a simile for you. Eddie's voice sounds like a dying rat <laughs> in a sewer on that song. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but live yes. is pristine, and I'm totally lovely. It, so. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to jump from one favorite to the next. Rearview mirror. Oh wow, fascinating! Much like Corduroy, the that energy is a borderline flawless performance on the album, though. So I'm curious hey. to hear this. Well, here you go. Uh, much like Corduroy, the energy in this song somehow gets elevated live. The crowd feeds off of it, and you know it might be. I talk about catharsis in, in Corduroy. It might be the most cathartic song in the catalog, save for release. There's just something about the build-up to the end of the song. Now, this song never lets up. So for a song that is up-tempo nearly the entire time, you've got to find extra gear live, and they do. The interlude, for example, this can last forever. It can be wonderfully jammy. It can spawn and go into all kinds of different other genres. It's fantastic. You never know when it's going to end, and it, but it always finds its way back to where it needs to be. I'm not a jam band fan, per se, uh, but this is always just pure fun to me, and it's especially great how it builds back into that, in, into that outro, which, you know, it's just about an absolute release. Now, considering the subject matter of this song, it's one of those that it allows the audience to emote with the band. We always talk about how the band listens at you with their songs, right? This is one where, man, this is some serious ass uh, subject matter. And it's one of the songs I feel like the, 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 the audience is able to respond to the easiest, um, especially on a deeper level. And they bring it back to the band just as the band gives it to them. And I think if, if they've been in the situation of the subject matter, this is just absolutely doubled. Uh, and it's their turn to really let it out. And it all culminates with that outro that I mentioned. 
just pure madness, only emboldened by the strobe lights. And I think when you think about Jeff restarting the song with his bass line, there's something, there's some sort of anticipation that is never, never duplicated by listening to the album. The album, it, it's, you get into the interlude and it's, um, it's written, you know? It's not organic. It was it was done the way that it was supposed to be done, and you've heard it that way a, th- a thousand times. But you don't know where or when it's going to come back to the song from the jam, and that anticipation, that unknowingness, to get back to the outro, that it's just pure catharsis, you know. Stop fucking with me, that whole thing, and then just the absolute just. Strobe lights, Matt going crazy, the whole band going nuts. It's just a little punk rock anthem at the end. Hard to beat it. And as much as it sounds crazy in the album, it sounds crazier in person. And there's that feedback loop that's just unbeatable. That's a great breakdown. Thank you. What do you got? Uh, that was a, a tough act to follow there, buddy. I'm going to go with Daughter. Yes, good shout. So, you know, this is one of those tracks... Second single off of Versus, Grammy-nominated track. There's a repetitive nature to this song. And um, so much so, I think, that I have friends who literally cite this song as one of their worst. They're not passionate Pearl Jam fans, but they just feel like it was sloppy or lazy writing. I don't agree with that. That, that That's not my No, but I, I kind of understand where they're coming from. Yeah, so I, I feel that with this particular track here, when, when first of all, if you understand the history of the song, you know that I think the original title of the track was Brother. Correct. And it was more of a personal reflection on Eddie's part. And then he kind of separated himself from that and he reconfigured it in a way where he could kind of reimagine this perspective of this troubled young girl who's basically trying to find her place in the world and having some difficulty connecting. And what I think makes the live version shine is the ability with each version to tag something onto the end of it. And what I like about the tags, not so much that it's going to be a new thing every time you hear the song, you know? It's not like a, a mystery, you know, a, 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 what do you, an Easter egg, right? It's not an Easter egg with every track, but this ability to connect daughter onto another track i think is a wonderful manifestation of the deeper sentiment that i would say is the inherent soul of the song and so it's just this wonderful um reflection i guess or or uh you know realization of the metaphor and i think that there's no better way to do that than to connect with another form of music that either has inspired one of the band members or the band as a whole. So I think that, that it's a really cool way to do it where it's not it's not like a, hey, let's just break it down at the end and tag on a jam. To me, there's something in the lyrical content of the song that actually symbolically lends itself to that. So it actually enhances the, 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 the meaning of the track and it allows it to breathe in a way that, that wouldn't ordinarily happen if you, say, for example, said, well, let's just throw a tag on black or let's just throw a tag on to... Uh, I don't know, lead better. I mean, it's not going to be the same because those songs aren't necessarily tracks about trying to connect to something beyond what's in front of you because you're just trapped. You know what I mean? I mean, a song like Daughter is very much existing in that plane. 
And you, you, there's a certain, it's, it's, it's palpable when they make that tag at the end. And as a, as a listener, when you're standing in the audience or sitting, if you're, uh, who the hell sits at a Pearl Jam concert? But if you're older you're, like us, and yeah, you just sure, can't, yeah, you the knees don't work. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you're at a show, you're waiting, you know, what's it going to be? What's, what's, what's the tag going to be, you know? And, and you know that there's a handful of just go-tos. But you also never know, you know, because those weren't always go-tos. And so I think that there's something interesting in, in the ability for that song to connect to something else. And then that in turn creates yet another connection with the audience. And so I, I like the ability for the speaker in the song, in that narrative, to actually find essentially that missing void and close that gap on a symbolic level through the manifestation of the song in live performance. I just think it's a nice bookend to it. The, I mean, there's so many, so many tags. You've got what, another mm-hmm. book in the wall, rocking in the free world, WMA. Um, Did you save it for later? Did they ever tag No, that's better, man. But, better, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, what's that? What's the most common one? Oh my God, it's driving me nuts. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. Um, Which uh, that's, talk about a perfect tag. My I mean, God. when you think about, what the song is about and and that desire to find your place. And then suddenly that reassurance that comes with a tag like that, it's so well thought, you know what I mean? There's it's building a third act into that narrative that is absent on, on the album version. And I think that to do it live just makes it that much more of a sentiment that you can relate to. So for me, I think the live version, a, it breaks up the repetitiveness and it adds a new organic dynamic that's fresh and ever changing and it, it, it provides some closure. So it's, it's just a wonderful song life. Excellent choice. Excellent choice. Uh, I'm going to head back to Vitalogy. Ooh. Immortality. Wow. Yes. The intro that Mike used to do? Because that was um, killer. I mean, there is the intro that Ed has done in the last 10, 12 years, which I find lovely that little guitar thing do 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 yeah um, i really prefer the thing mike used to do before though i mean that was really cool too of course. yeah oh god that, was that, that that isn't even the reason why i was choosing it um but those little intros are really cool um in the same way that um untitled makes mfc better i think yeah when they're played back sure. to back not one of the choices but just want to put that out there uh immortality Ever since I heard the Orpheum version in Boston, um, I experienced the live cut of this song different. And I, and I mean that in, in, as in, um, you know, for a long time, I had never heard the Orpheum version. So I'd heard the song live, yada, yada, yada. But when I heard that version, I go, ooh, this song hits differently now. And there's always just a really beautiful ache to the way Ed sings this live that for me isn't really on the record. I think I think Ed was just in an, an interesting headspace during the recording of Vitalogy. So I mean, it's no surprise for me at least that um, at least two of my songs are from Vitalogy, Borderway <laughs> Immortality, and man, Mike always colors the verses in new, interesting ways. I, I happened to put on a random version the other night, and it was from um, I want to say 2003. I don't remember where. And it was just absolutely, no, I'm sorry, it was, I think it was, uh, it might have been Hartford 98. At any rate, great show. It, it was a great show. It was, um, he was just doing something that I had never heard before. And it was kind of phasing and going back and forth. And just, it just, it did something with Ed's vocals that 
I never would have thought to to that could have worked listening to the yeah. album version. And he, he kind of does this. He kind of changes it up from from version to version. Um, and there's always this great dichotomy between the quiet and the loud parts. Especially you know, on the record, it's like that. The, the quiet and loud parts are are importantly different, but it's not like the guitars in the, in the live versions are are massively gained up or anything. But it's just like there's another level on the amp, just like a little boost where they're a little bit more rocking than the quiet parts when this song's played live. Um, and I think because of that, it, it accentuates the the quiet parts. I mean, I know Eddie is on record as saying, I don't understand bands that just do quiet, soft songs because like you shouldn't need to have a dynamic shift to make your song sound powerful. But guess what? It works for a fucking reason, Ed. <laughs> and you've done that yourself. So, <laughs> you know, you think about, you think about it, it smells like Teen Spirit, like a lot of Nirvana songs were loud and soft, loud and soft. And that was a big thing in the 90s and early 2000s. And he was, I think, reacting to that, how everybody was mm-hmm. using the same trope. Um, so I understand it. But at the same time, it kind of works. And in this song, it does work. And the point to prove that is the mic solos. You just can't oh, find. And they change in every version. Every version, they're different. Uh, that's what's probably find, my favorite part. Yeah, you can't find the energy of those solos. You can't find the passion of those solos on the record. It's just not there. Think about the the first solo is so much more subdued on the it record. Is. I mean, even the, even the outro solo isn't even even really an outro solo on the record. It kind of is a lead line and it kind of jams out and kind of it fades right. So it's like it's not even that much of a thing. But. It, it just it's just an impactful song in general and, and the live version pushes you to another level and i think that 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 difference the dichotomy in gain levels of guitar the loud soft thing the how how mike changes it up and goes a little bit extra on the guitar solos it makes what ed sings feel more powerful and it's a powerful song as it is so for me immortality banger live love it i like that i like that I mean, I, I I so love the album version. It's that I, great. It's a hard but, choice to make. No, I mean, it, it, your argument is pretty sound. For me, I'm going to go number two here is Better Man. Yes. And, and I say that because there's something about the uh, stripped down version on the Versus Vitology box set where it's just Brendan on the keys and Eddie and you take the band out of it. And that was the original way it was recorded. And then suddenly they said, you know what, let's let's bring the band in. There's an intimacy to this song that I love in that version that gets lost. And I understand why Ed felt like it might have been a bit too poppy for a Pearl Jam song at first. It wasn't until the binaural tour when they started playing it and there were there were crowds in uh, Europe that were singing the chorus so loudly he stopped singing. And just let them carry it. And I thought, man, to have been there. And it doesn't happen in every show. There's a handful of shows where he will he'll just stop and play those those couple strums here and there. And you'll hear the crowd say, Have you been to one of those shows? I've been to one of those shows. I've been to one. It's crazy. It's elect I mean, it is cathartic, man. And there's something beautiful. It's like the first minute of the song. It's just like I know. It's how many songs can you say they have in the catalog where he can sing 40% of it 
and everybody still walks away saying that was epic man (laughs) and i just feel that that's that particular track and so what i love about the live version is specifically those types of moments i'll take that over you know the whole band and the drums coming in I, i i'll still take that because there's there's just something so beautiful and magnetic about it and it's there's there's the sentiment embedded within the song becomes relatable because everybody's sharing that alienation together um and it, it, it but you're coming together over that and there's a healing that happens it's a common theme paul with this music it is and there's i don't know it, it, for me I'll, I'll take that version live over the studio version any day of the week and and they did a marvelous job putting it together on the album and and the the quiet version with him and brendan equally is gorgeous but there's something about that live version that just elevates the song in a way that you cannot produce in a studio. It just requires that experience. And think about your uh, your live cut of the week from a month or two ago in Soldier Field with Brendan on keys. Yeah, because I wanted that element, you know? Right? Yeah, it really was. And I wonder, you know, everyone listening to this, or most people listening to this, would know about the 2000 tour where uh, a number of shows were selected as quote-unquote eight-man eight-man shows right. uh I, I think there's like i don't know 14 or something i, I forget the number someone's going to correct me and tell me i'm an idiot but um which is true but uh there was a number of shows that were considered eight-man they had little insignias on the packaging when you bought the bootlegs i will bet money that if better man is a part of an eight-man show it's probably like this where the crowd basically sings the first minute of the song and, and by the way for anybody listening if you were at one of those shows you sounded beautiful <laughs> paul the panderer i love it <laughs> um i'm gonna go with my number two song as i lean back on my chair hello uh number two song for me porch oh um man porch from mtv unplugged to all the crazy, maddening early performances, Atlanta 94, uh, and every modern version in between. I mean, to the the unusual start um, with the Ed slow guitar thing and then jumping into the actual rhythm of, of the song. It doesn't matter. The song just hits. The album version for me can't touch any of them. And I love the album version. I think... In our heart of hearts, we all know this. And, and the album version is, it's raucous, it's frenetic, it's powerful. It's the great. Live ver- What's up? It's great. It's great. The live version does all these things five times over for me. Not to mention the ever-changing and evolving interludes. Slow, fast, twisted around, jammy, fusion, prog rock. Well, then there's the remember the early 90s where when it starts to build back up again, Eddie'd be like, hey. <laughs> well, yeah. And they, you don't get that on the album, obviously, but no, you, you, don't. you feel it. It's almost like a, you could see he's about to explode. It's a ticking bomb, man. man. I mean, hell, you might have like little Black Sabbath references or Led Zeppelin reference, references from Jeff and Mike. I've heard those many times. How many different things can Ed Clymer surf on, by the way? You know, you got Pink Pop, you got the Morris Theater, countless other venues. This is a great choice. It wasn't I mean, on my list, and I regret that it wasn't. This me? is fantastic. Well, song, well done. This song demands that you let loose. 
it demands it. The whole Ed, you just mentioned it, the whole Ed, ah, build up thing. You know, they're, they're jamming, they're jamming over Generally, by the way, it's an E chord. They're kind of jamming around because the last note that gets into the bridge into the thing is an A. It's an open A note. So they generally bridge, uh, jam out over E as the main key. When they get into the bridge to get back to the, to the main crux of the song, the chorus, it's an A chord. When you hear that, I believe it's six bars, but it usually changes from show to show. That's what you were talking about. The Ed, uh, and the whole crowd, everyone knows what I'm talking about right now. I don't have to even explain it. You all know what I'm talking about. Ed getting us back. Just like how Jeff was playing the bass uh, line in Rear Mirror. You hear that. You know where it's going. You've gotten, it's like it's like being, the interlude kind of being, um, diving into like this ravine, right? This ravine of rock and roll. And then you start coming back up, and the, the, the top of the plateau is back where the song is, and you're starting to build, 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 build. That's what this is. Building and building and building. And this, you get to the top, and then the outro of the song is this insane, like, downhill race to the finish, the final chorus. Everyone is jumping up and down. Everyone is singing along to, um, to the end. And considering the subject matter, hello, it's pretty goddamn powerful. And then just the last, like you are just spent at the end. So to try and tell me that the that the album version isn't better, I'm sorry, is better than this? Have you have you seen the show live? Because I could, you can listen to the, <laughs> the you can listen to all the bootlegs you want, and you should, you you should still understand this from my perspective. But if you've been to at least one show where they've played Porch, you absolutely know what I'm talking about. Porch number two. Well done, well done. My last one here is alive. Uh, th- there's something about the ending of this song where everybody just kind of chimes in. It's like, hey, hey, hey. I mean, it's just, th- there are very few songs that bring everybody together with that element of positivity. And to take a song that before Roskilde lacked that uh, reinforcement, that, that, that validation, of self and and life for that tragic moment i mean you you talk about i obviously never met those that that died in that tragic incident but it goes without saying that their the, the the loss of those poor people the spirit of who they were is is being honored every time that song gets played live now because there's a celebration of life that happens every time this song is played live now. And this is the song where I get my phone out and I actually film the crowd. I actually like, I do a full panorama of the whole, and everybody's hands, just you know, every, <laughs> all of the, 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 the unity, the synergy, the synchronization, all of it is majestic, man. It's just, it's the type of thing where if, if, if you tell me, hey, this, this person's never been to a Pearl Jam show. Uh, I got a ticket for this person. You know, will, will you will you go? Well, first of all, I would go. But uh, <laughs> the thing I'd be most excited about this person seeing with me right. would be Alive and that ending of Alive and just looking around and saying, Mother of God, this is a Pearl Jam show. I mean, this is out. I mean, I'm in. I'm on another planet right now. You know, and for me, it's it, it's Alive for that reason alone just because it's the one song and the one part of a song that I feel truly transports you to another place. 
where no matter what your experience was with Pearl Jam before, it has officially been born anew as something else. And that to me is, uh, is seminal, Jason. It's a seminal moment in your Pearl Jam experience. I'm not, I'm not going there again. <laughs> um, so I guess I just kind of continue then, huh? Because mm. it's alive for me. Wow. Um, we, uh, this is the only track we had that true. was the same. Um, I have notes, so I'm just going to go through them. But I you think should. There's some, there's some overlap here. I just uh, I just shot from the hip on that one, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, yeah, I know. It's what you when I was going through these songs, I went to my iTunes, my, my live Pearl Jam library. And I just, I searched, you know, the live or all these songs. And I just went through like the hundreds of versions that showed up. And I just kind of clicked one and played it. The one that I clicked on and played for a live was uh, Pistoia, Italy, 2006. Mm. Phenomenal version, by the way. If you have the Imagining Corneas video, it's, heavy, it's uh, heavily prominent, that, that setting. And for good reason. Part of me almost kind of hemmed and hawed on this one originally the album version it's it's damn near perfect how they put it together <laughs> all the phrasing the guitar interplay ed's singing jeff and dave Cruson kind of just getting it spot on mike solo solo is beautifully written but i mentioned this earlier the feedback loop this song is the ultimate feedback loop now, I don't care how many times you've heard the song live. If you casually dismiss it as like a bathroom song, okay, hipster, cool guy. You know in your heart of hearts that uh, you are just like everyone else in the venue, singing your lungs out. Ed mentions um, how this song, and you mentioned it yourself, going from yeah. a very negative story to a triumph of ourselves. You said the exact same phrase I have written down here, celebration of life. And far be it from me to to say that it, that the the spirit of those nine people isn't in every rendition of the song um, since then because it probably is. And if you go back and listen to, uh, I believe it's November sixth, two thousand, in Seattle's Key Arena, the first time since the tragedy when they played it, you'll hear it there too. Um, talk to me about about a more fun and exhilarating moment at a Pearl Jam show. Yeah. Then when Mike launches into the final solo, the first, I mean, you get the, the, the fist pumping and the head bombing. You got Ed running across the stage, tossing broken tambourines or, to lucky or fans. Or swinging on uh, <laughs> globe lights like we yeah. saw here in LA. You got, you got Keely putting the lights on. Let me see everybody. Mm -hmm. you, you, you're drenched in sweat and beer. Josh. Josh is with us for every show. <laughs> Turning Josh, on the lights. <laughs> that's true. You're hugging the person from a half a world away you met three hours ago. Yeah. Holding my hand up. I've done that. You know. Uh, you tell me a better live experience than, than that at a Pearl Jam show. The quintessential Pearl Jam song becomes the quintessential moment of the night every damn time it's played. So I, as much as I think the, the Alive album version is really, really perfectly well done. Oh, of course it is. We agree that like if you've seen this song live and if you've been to Pearl Jam Show, you probably have. It is the culmination of everything in you. It's always played like one of the last couple of songs and you are spent. And at that point, you're like, just Mike, 
just give me love better. We can get the hot yeah. here. Cause I'm, I'm just like, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, I've exhausted I'm, all my emotions. I'm, I'm done. spent. <laughs> I'm spent, man. So uh, I know many people um, consider the album version to be perfect. And I don't disagree with you, but there is a different level and different experience uh, when you see it live. Yeah. So there we go. Well, I, I don't know how else to. I, I love that. That was the song we finally came together on. Yeah, we were all over the place. Uh, it was great. It was perfect. Now, now we we teased it before. I want to know. I mean, this has been very difficult. Um, I have a number of songs on my list here that didn't make the cut. I've got a couple that I made some notes on, but a, a couple more that did not. And just, just give me a quick rundown of a few songs that that barely didn't make it for you. You know, there's only two. One is uh, Led Better, uh, just because it, it it's it's that great kind of live jam type of a track it feels in the studio like it was an impromptu live jam mm. you know it just it that's the way it sounds and so it, it's perfectly suited live and no matter how they play it it always just sounds superior um and the second one and this will sound a little weird and i'm not entirely in on this but it's black i, I say that because Ooh. the didn't you say the, it? you prefer the, the i, I do version. i do prefer the studio version but there's <laughs> something about mike's the evolution of the song where Mike's guitar essentially has become the siren that is, you know, a manifestation of the, 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 the deeper feeling of yearning and loss in that track. You're not going to get that lot, uh, on the studio version. In fact, right. uh, much of his solo at the end is very muffled and muddied. I mean, you really have to put headphones on because there's so much happening at the end, but it becomes a signature highlight of the live version and it carries the song and so while i i will always prefer the studio version because of eddie's vocal performance and um how tight it is but at the same time how the, the how organically it evolves and, and there's a free flowing form to it the, the live version is so distinctly unique and has evolved naturally so distinctly that i can't help but mention the fact that I want to hear it live because his solo is going to be different every time. And it's going to go on for like three and a half minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's going to take you to higher, you know, to the higher places. And it, it, not all of his solos are able to do that because they're oftentimes accompanying some blistering up-tempo track. And so here's this one where it's like, Mike, just, you know, Take it away. Tra transport them to the astral plane, my friend. <laughs> and, and, and he pulls it off every time. <laughs> Is that a Van Morrison reference? Uh, it was. But uh, uh, kind of an underrated album, actually. Oh, yeah, <laughs> That's absolutely. a conversation for another time. I, I say it's underrated, even though it's on like every top 50 and 100 album of all time list. But uh, at least amongst our generation, I think maybe it's a little on the underrated side. But I do believe that as a live version, I just wanted to throw a carrot in that direction. Okay. Even though, you know, it, even it, though you I, chose I, it for your other. Right. Exactly. Cause I, I just feel yeah. that I would be remiss if I did not honor what the, put it on the, the score. Power of it. Yeah, uh, Paul is indecisive on his favorite Paul. song. No. <laughs> uh, I have a few it's a songs. It's a love-hate relationship, man. What do you want? It's a, I, I do want to yeah. mention. Um, I'm not, I won't go into detail, but uh, "Love Boat Captain," "Infallible." You mentioned that. Yeah. "Parting Ways" and "Release." Really? All for me. I find "Release." I'm on board with. I, I all feel are better um, live than. Uh, I think "Parting Ways" is much better live. To be honest with you, 
than the studio versions, but not enough to crack that top five. I also really enjoy In My Tree live compared to the studio. I think there's a little bit more oomph hmm. to it personally. Really? Okay. I do. I do. I think Ed sings it differently and more and more um, uh, emotively uh, live than he did. And I think Jack's drumming is, is well, the Jack versions at least just hit a little bit, hit a little bit better. Um, the one song that I, that I was so hard pressed not to include, it was just, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, it could just couldn't break into the top five. Nothing as it seems. This is on my list almost purely because you cannot replicate a mic solo in the studio, what you would get in the beautifully live feedback loop at a concert. And there is just, there is some beauty in how simple the rest of the song is live versus the bigger atmosphere you got in the record. But what Mike brings to the table and how he elevates his moments in the song and how those moments are usually different from show to show and, and feature Mike essentially losing himself in those moments it just cannot be recreated. The song is an experience. It's basically an excuse to have a guitar solo for four and a half minutes separated by verses. And because he, because a lot of these moments that we've talked about today are, are, are central to Mike bringing us to another level. I mean, you just mentioned it in black. So for me, nothing as it seems is that's an experience that I love seeing live. I think it's better than the album. It just didn't, uh, couldn't quite crack the five, as it were. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting take because I thought of that one at first, but then it felt to me that everything that I loved about the live version was succinctly captured, I think. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it, I think it probably had more to do with the atmosphere and just the, the, the recording process of Binaural which is unlike any of the other albums that, that that song just lent itself to that process. And it, I think it's one of the standout tracks because of that. But um, like I said, it didn't make the cut, but it was one of those ones. I was like, Ooh, man, I do love hearing that song live because it just, yeah. Mike's just a little bit different each time. All right, let's go to our lyric of the week. Okay, Paul, Lyric of the Week. Um, generally, we keep these things thematic, and that means we're going back to 10 with Porch. All the bills go by and the initiatives are taken up by the metal. There ain't gonna be any metal anymore and the cross I'm bearing home. Any ticket till for my place. Left the boys. Left the boys. Okay, Porch. Classic song. Unbelievable song. Tell me about it. This one's tough, man. I've always felt that it's hard to separate Porch from the pro-choice initiative. Mm -hmm. uh, now, maybe it's because a lot of Pearl Jam fans associate the song with the MTV Unplugged performance. Um, I think lyrically there are a lot of connotations and innuendos it's it, the, the, the song lyrically, I, I feel there's an element of ambiguity to it where you really could interpret the song in a lot of ways as centering around a relationship kind of on the brink. Um, but these particular lyrics, I mean, you know, when I read these lyrics that, that you and I are talking about here, I don't feel a, a pro-choice connection. I don't see 
that meaning. I, I think it has a lot more to do with the relationship falling apart than it does with, with pro-choice, at least in, in this particular case. Uh, that doesn't mean that that element is not there, but um, I do see kind of this uh, this desire to kind of break free of the political and cultural constructs that exist in middle America, you know, cause you know, Eddie's from Chicago, he's from Illinois. And, and I think that there's a certain wavelength that Eddie wanted to break free from. There's an activist spirit in him. And, and look, the last thing I want to do is insinuate or suggest that the, the wonderful citizens of middle America don't have this in them. Cause they absolutely do. I just feel that look, if Eddie wanted to still live in middle America, he would, and he doesn't. And so there's something about trying to break, you know, you, you, look, this isn't the lyric that you gave me, you know, hear my name, take a good look. This could be the day. This, this idea of reaffirming the sense of self and validating your views and who you are, and what you stand for and trying to break free from the constructs, the aforementioned constructs to create a path for the self and find yourself through that process. There's the old adage that, you know, the real journey is not in, in it is in the journey itself and, and the real discoveries in the journey itself, not ultimately in the destination. And I feel that it's the, the breaking free of these shackles in order to, whether those shackles are growing up in, in a small town in, in middle America and feeling like you, you, the monotony of it, or it's breaking free of a relationship that you find restrictive and suffocating, whatever it is, um, just trying to find that through line to who you were then, what you're becoming now. Uh, but if you look at the lyrics specifically, these, the words like in, initiatives, for me, when I first heard this song, it was su such a unique word. I mean, there's mm -hmm. not a lot of music in the early 90s that features a word like initiative. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll never forget just being the age I was at the time saying, what an interesting word to put in a song. <laughs> and, and then trying to wrap my head around what he was trying to say, you know, and, and I think that... Um, this idea that the initiatives are taken up by the middle, you know, and, and there, there's not going to be any, any middle anymore. Um, you're going to have to pick a side. Um, and event, and, and it, it feels prophetic when you think about the world that we live in politically today, mm. which is so divided that the middle is, um, it's almost, uh, defunct. I feel like the middle is a dying breed. The middle has given way to the extreme right and the extreme left. And it feels prophetic when you look at a lyric like that, there ain't going to be in the middle anymore. Um, and then of course, you know, the ending of these, the, the, this lyrical segment here, the cross I'm bearing home, it's not indicative of my place left the porch, left the porch. It's just this idea of I'm, I'm getting out of this. You know, I'm going to take that step, that first step forward get myself away and extricate myself from this, this view, this mindset, this relationship, this situation, whatever it is. And so the song is very much about empowerment and it's very much about rising above. And so I, I feel that while it isn't 
inherently tied to something like pro-choice. I do see how Eddie might have looked at the lyrical, the, 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 the spiritual element of the song, the, the spiritual core of the song, and being caught up in the moment in a way that said, well, this song is about choosing your sense of self. And, you know, in that moment, taking the initiative, the literal initiative at the time, and deciding to write what he wrote on his arm during that performance, it just seemed like a natural parallel. There's a lot of continuity there, but that doesn't mean to me that that's what the song is about. And I don't think you have to interpret it that way. I like that you mentioned that. And I like that you went in a more um, balanced general way because you're probably right. Um, I wanted to, I want to, this is an interesting song. And I, I thought to myself, what's the, what's the view that many people attribute to it? And, and how can we dive into that? So I, I took the MTV unplugged version and I, I said to myself, okay, well, that's probably the first time many people heard this song in live context. Um, and, and they got, as you said, Ed putting that, that pro-choice um, message on his arm and, and many view the song in that context going forward. So let's go down that path. Um, how many women do we not know who, uh, about who have had a cross to bear. They come from, I mean, I mean, that's a loaded question, right? They come from families that believe and think a certain way. And that belief is instilled. It's impressed. It's forced upon everyone living in the household. And you're say, a young woman who believes in something else, believes in a personal freedom, not shackled by what they would consider archaic ideas of how a female is supposed to act, what sex is about, what it's for and the choice of that woman and how to treat herself and everything within her body. That's on her personal freedom and Liberty means just that we talk about, you know, this lack of middle and how we're extreme, right? Extreme left, really extreme, right? You know, that they go on and on about personal freedom until it kind of butts up against something that they also don't like. And then all of a sudden they kind of contradict themselves. Um, We do not live in a black and white world. We, you know, nearly everything is a shade of gray. Wasn't there an album by Stain called 14 Shades of Gray? Uh, I'm not saying I'm I'm a Stain fan necessarily, but but I think they did. (laughs) I mean, that that was pretty smart of them. Um, Governments or factions of government and the people who vote those people in to take, you know, they, they, they take their guidance from the human construct of religion. Uh, that belief is then used to legislate or, or attempt to control those who do not believe the same thing. We've talked about this before. Um, I'm sorry, but that's not what this country is about, in my opinion. That's that, And that's what Eddie is singing about here. Uh, if you take the pro-choice abortion route. How many initiatives in literal bills are taken up on this subject? You talk about initiative being a silly word or an interesting word to use in a song. Mm-hmm. What if he meant it in this way? An initiative, it's a purpose. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idea that you are pushing to, to, to create change. The way that you create change is by, by a bill. All the bills go by. Could that mean actual bills in Congress? Are they taken up? 
I mean, you, you can't have a nuanced discussion about sensitive and complex topics anymore. You just can't. No. Um, and everything, like I said, is black or white. You cannot be in the middle anymore. So what do, what do some women have to do? They've got to get the hell out of a bad situation within their home. They've got to, they've got to leave that home, literal or figurative, to find peace. And if it is about abortion, this makes sense. If it's not, the, the lyrics still hold true to your point about trying to find self and extricating themselves from a bad situation. I, I think Ed does a good job of writing songs that might be specifically about something like it could be specifically about this, but they are vague enough to apply to many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and he happened to maybe tip his hand a little bit at MTV unplugged, but maybe he didn't, maybe he just felt in the moment. I mean, it wasn't just what a year later that the doctor in Florida was murdered in an abortion clinic. And they went down there the next year and did a benefit for him. Yeah. So it was on their minds, but that this it's an interesting song, and I, I find it interesting that this is a song we mentioned it or I mentioned it earlier, uh, where the live song is, is better than the than the, than the um, studio because there is a catharsis. If you've been in a situation like this, even if it's not abortion related, but where you had to extricate yourself from a shitty situation from a from a household that was abusive or or God, any negative situation, right? This is the release you get. And you got to leave that porch, I guess. Great way to end that combo. Lovely. Just uplifting, fun. <laughs> well, let's dive into a little bit more with our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up! Paul, live cut of the week. Uh, classic, classic song. People are already yelling things into their podcast hosting machines. What is it going to be? Drop in the park. Ah, yes. Drop in the park. We're going, uh, we're going home. And you know what? There's something about Pearl Jam having left the porch for that tour and finally coming home. And to me, it was a performance that reinforced this whole idea. It was Pearl Jam saying, we left the roost. We can't, we've come home after this epic tour that will essentially it, it reaffirmed why we got into this in the first place. And this song was, to me, it was this calling, this uh, beacon, this performance that basically said to everybody out there, you need to leave the porch too. And... I'm telling you, man, it was, it's an electric performance. It's blistering. Uh, Eddie is at the, the whole band is really at the top of their game. It's a five-star performance across the board, dropping the park. All right. Back to Seattle, Magnuson Park, September 20th, 1992. Can I just tell you one last thing on behalf of everybody? Can I tell you one last thing? One, two, three, four. What the fuck is this world? What do you think? Leave a message in the sky. Gonna lend your voice one last time. Daily mind feels this good. Be my time by your hood. Would you hit me? Would you? Would you hit me?
Well, the interesting thing about this show for me is that it was meant to go on months before, right? Yeah. And the city was like, um, this is gonna be a problem. The amount of people that have signed up for this thing, we have to kind of postpone. And so they did, and they had to go back on tour. And then, you know, the, the famous birth of no was literally like a week before this. Yep. And then they went to Irvine and they were like, fucking TV shows are bullshit. Uh, we're not doing that <laughs> crap anymore. And they finished their Lollapalooza run. And then they went back home and they played the show and it was lights out. And it's one of the most totally lights out. iconic shows of all time. We have talked about, I think, was it, was it garden or D- I forget what song we did where this was the, also the lyric of the week. I think it might've been ah, garden, I think it might've been there. but um, you'd be, you could very easily choose this show for any of the 10 songs and you wouldn't get an argument from most people. It was that charge the show. There was just so much about this show and about the context of it and being delayed and the whole birth of no thing happening a week prior. There was a lot of energy. There's a lot of emotion. And for a song as um, emotively charged as Porch that we just talked about, this release being the third to last song on the, on the docket, the uh, Sonic Reducer and Rock in the Free World followed it. Uh, man. Epic, to say the least. You just listen to it, so you know. Uh, there you go, gang. I'm I'm mentally and emotionally exhausted from that one. I don't know about you. Yeah. As as we should talking about songs better live than in the studio. We should have that similar feeling of exasperation at the end of this conversation as we would at the end of Pearl Jam. I'm sweating. Yeah, so am I. I'm sure it has something I'm, to do with the I'm fact sorry. that my, my AC stuff, but I'm that's an entirely different conversation. I'm glistening, Paul. I don't <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a gentle you're, you're a flower of a person. No. <laughs> Drenched. You, you, you look like a, a lily with morning dew. Okay. This is just yeah. off the rails. <laughs> what is happening? Uh, okay, gang. We will be back with you in another week with another fantastic episode of uh this fabulous show oh that will a fantastic show that will be highlighted by jason and paul reading your reviews yeah that's true that's true that's true and i I would be remiss if i didn't mention one thing and that is we have confirmation that there is going to be a live pearl jam show this year yes september 26th dana point california ohana festival night three of the festival paul i will be there Give the listeners a little bit of background about Jason's relationship with the Ohana Festival because it extends far beyond Jason being there this year. Uh, yeah, so my wife and I bought tickets when they went on sale about 15, 16 months ago. Very excited. I had never been to Ohana Festival before. I said, ooh, it could be fun to go this year. They dropped the lineup. Pearl Jam for the first time is on the bill and Eddie Better, by the way. Uh, and my wife's uh, one of her favorite bands, Kings of Leon, playing on the Friday. It seemed like a win-win. We bought tickets. We're excited. Her grandparents live in San Juan Capistrano, five minutes from the uh, from the v- venue. We could stay there, get dropped off. It's like a win-win, baby. It's amazing. And then COVID, so couldn't go. Postponed. Had the tickets, held on to them. Didn't do the refund just in case. They pushed it with a year. We go, okay, come on, fingers crossed. And then, of course, the European shows that had been postponed to June 21, July 21, those get postponed. So all of a sudden, now it's like, okay, how far is this postponement going to last? Right. 
but evidently the suspense i mean this is the, 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 the denouement stops. before the great revelatory third act the buck stops my friend in september of this year and if the you see here now will be festival, at the first pearl jam concert in three years how does that feel jason i well this is all this is all uh, how perfect is this it would be amazing. It, it all assumes that the See Here Now Festival in New Jersey does not happen. But if it does happen, then it'd be the second. But if it doesn't happen, okay. it'd be the first. And I know people who have tickets to See Here Now. So for your sake, I hope it happens. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't care if I'm the first or the second show since the comeback. But I'll tell you what, um, I'm going to be there. If you see me, say hi. And uh, I'm going to take some video. No, and- we're going to have a shirt made for you, my friend. A State of Love and Trust podcast shirt, and you're going to wear that shirt at that show because our listeners deserve nothing. Maybe, maybe if we make one, we should we should allow it to be sold to our listeners if they would like to purchase such a T-shirt. Yeah, and honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. That's a great idea because I would like to involve the listeners in the design of one of these shirts. Look at us! Look at this! This is so smart. Exactly. You, you know what? Yes. If you would like to contribute to the design of the very first State of Love and Trust podcast t-shirt, we will happily accept all submissions. We will uh, discuss with you. And uh, if, if we choose your, your submission uh, in part or in full of the design, we will discuss compensation or of some Absolutely. type. And uh, yeah, that would be that's quite a lovely idea. Yeah. This week, look for more details. Okay, there we go. We just we just committed ourselves. We did. We did. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> until we commit ourselves to more things, uh, you've been listening to the state of love and trust. Yeah.